creativity never shrinks, it expands. So I have the more that you try, the more that you can do. It actually goes back to what you said about should you put the book away or should you write something else? It's the more that you use your creativity, the more expansive it becomes. And that's where like always write a different book because it's going to teach you something. Always try something out there. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, Pam here. Welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. The voice you heard at the beginning of this podcast is Maisie Yates. Maisie is a New York Times best-selling US author and in this episode, she's chatting to fabulous best-selling Australian author, Rachel Johns. And this chat was inspired by Maisie's recent keynote address at the Romance Writers of Australia conference in Fremantle. It was an inspiring, heartfelt talk that had everyone in the room mesmerised and in fact brought many of us to tears. In this episode, Maisie shares 13 important lessons that she's learned about publishing over the 13 years that she's been a published author. And this is a fantastic chat because it does contain the essence of that keynote address and it contains all those 13 points that Maisie talked about. But because she's in conversation with Rachel, there's actually more in this chat, I feel, in many ways that can um, really inspire and motivate and make us authors really have something to think about. So I also want to thank Rachel Johns for stepping into the guest host hot seat once again. Rachel's becoming a much-loved host on Rights for and we are going to expand the guest host program on Rights for Women, but I'll tell you more about that in coming weeks. So it's great to have Rachel back on the podcast chatting to Maisie. Maisie and Rachel have been friends for many years. Their publishing careers kicked off around the same time, and it's really great to listen to this chat between these two very experienced, very talented authors. When I was pulling out the quote for the beginning of the podcast, the one that you listened to before the intro, I kept copying and pasting a whole bunch of different quotes as I was editing, and each one seemed to be more inspiring than the next, but in the end I went with that one on creativity. But there are just so many fantastic things for us to think about. As Rachel says, at the end of this podcast, she actually was making notes at the time that she was chatting to Maisie. And if you're an aspiring and emerging or a published author, I highly recommend you have a notepad nearby and a pen because I'm sure that there's going to be some points you're going to want to jot down as you listen to this. And it may be a podcast that you listen to um, over and over again, as I know I will be. So thanks so much to Maisie and Rachel's going to intro Maisie as we get into the podcast. And I really hope you enjoy this chat between these two fabulous authors. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Johns, author of Rural Romance and Women's Fiction. And my next book is The Work Wives, which is out in November. But today 
I'm delighted to be chatting to you. Addie, my dog and I, for those watching online, can see that I've got a dog here with me because she wants to be in on the action. So Addie, my dog and I today are delighted to be talking to my friend and author extraordinaire, Macy Yates. Hi, Macy. Hi, Rach. It's good to see you again. Yes, it hasn't been that long. We were recently together at the Romance Writers of Australia conference where Macy was the closing keynote speaker. And we, that's one of the reasons that Pamela and I decided we'd love to get Macy on Rights for Women because her keynote speech was just fabulous. So much wisdom and information. And so we're going to get onto that in a moment. But first, for anyone who doesn't know Macy, I'm just going to read you a little bit of introduction. Now, as well as listening to Macy talk to her keynote at the Romance Writers Australia Conference recently, I also had the pleasure of interviewing her and Kelly Rimmer and Zoe York on a panel. And I decided that instead of reading their bios, I would hunt them down some goss on them on the internet. It was a little bit easier because I know Macy reasonably well. So I thought I'd read that intro for you today. So according to TikTok, Macy Yates, New York Times bestselling author of those books. And for anyone who can't see this, I'm using inverted commas because it, it, that's the way she describes them. Her kids think she's cringe. And I can totally relate to that. I think anyone with teenage kids can, it would be a miracle if they didn't think you're cringe. <laughs> I think it's a big laugh if your kids don't think you're cringe. True. That's probably true. Part of our duty to embarrass them and do crazy things. According to Twitter, the house hasn't been cleaned since 2009. I can totally relate to that as well, though I'm not sure my house has ever been cleaned. But 2009, was that when you got published or when you started? Yeah. It was when I got my first contract. So yeah. So no books out yet, but yeah. That's right. So you're Mason's a couple of years ahead of me in the publishing. We started well actually I thought we started writing a long time before Macy because I started when I was very young. Mason's a few years younger than me, so she was probably in early high school when I started writing, I think. But Macy beat me to the publication thing. But we actually also met each other before publication. We were both targeting Quinn Nelson Boone. And we met on some writing forums there. So we've known each other quite a long time. And yes, when she's not writing, she's hanging out with her kids, her gorgeous husband, who I have to say does actually look like a romance novel hero. Does. Well done. Quite, quite the, the Duke on the Bridgerton series, I think. Yes. And you can check out Macy's probably Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. You can see him um, playing that role a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Macy likes knitting, crafting, and baking, I think. And as you can see, if you're watching along, she's also a diet Coke drinker. So basically, we're here to tell you tonight that the key to being a best-selling successful author has nothing to do with hard work, nothing to do with luck, like people will tell you. It's all about diet Coke. Do you reckon, Macy? You can't prove otherwise. No, I'm pretty much all successful authors I know drink diet Coke. And no, this is not a sponsored diet Coke podcast. But maybe wanted to send us some free diet coke. We're up to it. She lives in picturesque Oregon, and I have been to Oregon, not near where Basie lives, and I do adore it. So it's such a beautiful place. I'm very jealous. And you can check out some of her surrounds on Instagram where she shares some beautiful pictures of hiking and different things like that. Macy has a penchant for small animals, which is cool considering there's a large animal or reasonably large animal in my office at the moment harassing me. And <laughs> what are you doing? I have a lot of little animal things littered around my desk. That's my little mouth. Oh, it's so cute. And I have a raccoon and an owl and, oh, 
There he is. He's just, he's within arm's reach. I have some little mice. Uh, I love it. But I can't reach him. So yeah, I, I like small animals. And sometimes they feature in your books. Which yes. It's been cool and kind of fun. So, yeah, I think in your previous life, you were probably a Disney princess because you seem to really love Disneyland and Disney World. So that's that bit about you as a, as a person. But as a writer, you have written mm, a zillion books, I'd say. <laughs> What's the accurate total? Do we know your accurate total? I believe it's 152 and a half because I'm halfway through. <laughs> that is so impressive. It's funny because whenever I do a podcast where I'm on the chair, in the chair where you are rather than the interviewer, I'm doing a, journal, uh, a talk for journalists or something, they always like, wow, you've written so many books in such a short time. And probably in about the same time as Macy, I've written between 25 and 30. And so I think... <laughs> You have no idea. I've written like nothing compared to some people. And I just am in so much, so awe, much awe of you because not only does Macy write amazing books and writes fast, but she's written in a number of different, I'm not going to say genres because I think women's fiction and romance are quite closely related, but uh, I yeah. describe it. I feel, I always say, because I get it, sometimes people will describe women's fiction. They're like, oh, it's more than romance. I think sometimes that sounds like you're being negative about romance or yeah. whatever. Which we don't like to think of it as it's more like the camera is focused on a different part of the heroine's life. Totally. Where it's more about like the core journey of the book is not necessarily the romance. Like mine have all had romances in them (laughs) and they are part of her journey. But there's a broader camera lens, like a broader camera angle. Like you've zoomed out on her life. And so you're looking at more of her like relationship with her parents and her sister. And you're having all those kinds of things get resolved like on the page. Whereas in a romance, I would, those things may happen, but the focus is going to stay on how the romance heals both of them. And that's another thing. One thing I love about women's fiction and the heroes that I put in women's fiction is that a lot of time, I would say the one that you're holding in your hand, there's an exception to that. But like in The Lost and Found Girl, one of the guys is a disaster. But like, I and I loved him. But I would say in general, it's like, it's not his journey. Yeah. And I even is a character who changes over the course of the book. That is a, his journey is not the focus. Yeah. So they sometimes get to be more wish fulfillment, like they're there to support her journey, yeah. whereas in a romance, it's much more shared. And so I would say those are the main differences to me. And also in general, women's fiction doesn't have to have romance. Those romance don't have to end happily, but mine do. Yeah. Because I feel like I have so many readers that are so loyal and to mess around with that expectation would be disrespectful to that. Yeah. I think also, I just don't like, I don't want to read that either. So no, and we'll, we'll definitely get to that because I think in your keynote, you did talk about thinking about the radar as well as yourself in writing. So I'm looking forward to chatting to you a little bit about that. I probably should say that, yeah, I've got two books in my hand. Um, one of them is re- quite recent and one of them's a little older. Macy Yates' latest book is, uh, the large, it might not be the latest by now, <laughs> by the time it is. Uh, it is. Well, um, it, well, no, there is a presents, but it's okay. Okay, okay. Because Mesa writes for um, Harlequin Presents, Harlequin Desire. She writes single title cowboy kind of books in small town for H2N. And she also now said writes women's fiction. I've probably missed out a number of things in there as well because you've done quite a few different projects. Maybe. I wouldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought I would just give a general introduction. So recently at the conference, you did a keynote talking about your 13 years in publishing. 
and the things you'd learned along the way. And I just know that I've, I had so many people talk about how inspiring they found that. And as well as being inspiring, what I really loved about it, I found myself nodding a lot, is that it was so honest. And I think you told a few hard truths about the publishing industry, but in a nice, in a positive way, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I did. I said this in my speech too. It's like at the end of the day, whatever hard truths there are, and there are hard truths, it's a competitive industry. And if it was as easy as just showing up and writing a book, that's like kind of the minimum cost of entry, which is quite difficult because in your real life, people are like, oh, you wrote a book. That's amazing. (laughs) That's not amazing. That's like what we all do that. Yeah. I got to get over that really quickly, but I think it's easy. Like Everybody could just do it. And, and everyone would have instant success because that's what we would all choose. If it was easy and if there were no struggles, then everyone would be as successful as they wanted to be. But obviously that's not the case. But having said that, it is still something that I would choose, which is why to me, it's like, it isn't like, I never want to be discouraging by offering hard truths. And I temper it by saying, even knowing everything I know. And having failed in the ways that I have and succeeded in the ways that I have, this is still the path that I would choose. Yeah. And I think that I never understood why people said, I used to think this was the most discouraging thing. And I still think it's not praise for people who are just entering the publishing industry, but it's something I understand after 13 years, which is if you can do anything else, do that. Yes. And I used to think, gosh, that's so negative. But now I'm like, oh, no, I get it now. Because I am been through everything I have and having it not be new and shiny and all that kind of stuff anymore. I would still do it. And I, there really isn't anything else I would choose. And so I see that. Same. And there's nothing else I'm glad now. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I have no other skills. I haven't been employed for years. But I think I completely agree. And I often say to people, people come up and they'll say, oh, I really want to write a book. I've tried and I'm thinking of giving up because I've got one run rejection or something. I really want to be an author, but I've got in one rejection or I've done this so hard. And I think when they say they're thinking of giving up, they want you to say, no, don't give up. It's great. You should. But I always say, if you can, do. Because I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's not easy. It's not for everyone. And there's definitely easier ways to make a living. But if you can't give up, then this is what you're supposed to do. And that, so it's like, don't give up. And yep. if you can't, then maybe readjust what you want because it's not, it can't be about the money and the success really in the end. And that's also a lot what you touched on. So let's get into the things you did. Yeah. They want to start with number one. What was your number one sort of thought for everyone? Uh, my first thing is that only writing teaches you how to write. Love that. Because I think that as people collectively, we all like to feel prepared. Like nobody likes to feel new or we don't know what we're doing. And so we think we can trick the learning process if we just collect enough information or the right information and then we'll never feel lost or like we're failing. All the craft books on my shelf behind me. And I didn't my speech was bad news yeah. uh, because like I said, I've written 150, two and a half books and the last half is very important. It's very important because I wrote 50,000 words last week. Thank you. And but, I am going to marinate it. While I pull up my chair. I wasn't uh, rage, but there is, I want, then this is how I schedule things. I'm like, I want to take two weeks off at Christmas. Yeah. And I'm taking a couple weeks off to do, I'm going on tour with Hazelback right. as their assistant. it's going to be their assistant at their book events for their books, Full Town Big Magic. And so I'm taking all this time off and I had taken two, three weeks off to go to Australia and New Zealand. So 
then that just requires hustle when I'm back at the desk. So book 150, which I wrote really right before I went to Australia, was just hideous. And it felt like I was new and lost and failing. And that's because every story is different and your process shifts over time which I think is the great thing about being a writer. I think that's why it always keeps me engaged. Yeah. It's a recovery process every time. But there's no amount of experience or education that could have prepared me for the fact that that book was going to be difficult because mm-hmm. some books just are and you actually can't avoid discomfort. Yeah. Feeling like you suck. Sucking is inevitable and feeling like you suck even when you don't is a guarantee. Feeling lost in your own mediocrity is just Tuesday. <laughs> yes, I actually, I'm cheery. Because then it means that I don't have to do anything in response to that negative yeah. feeling. And once I've accepted that I'm not going to avoid that feeling and that I may not feel prepared ever, then I might as well dive in. And only the act of writing is going to show you how you write. Yes. To me, that is the only thing you really need to know. And I'm not I saying like a workshop and all of that can't support that. But I do think that uh, it is really there is the most education to be had is in the act of actually doing it and writing books from beginning to end. Yeah. Not getting stuck in that cycle of writing like a partial, the first three chapters, either for contests or for submission, but actually learning how like the ways that you always get hung up and like how which things you miss when you're creating a character or a plot and all of that kind of stuff. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of practicing finishing yeah out of place. Place. But, that like you said you mentioned not doing first just getting best partials and best chapters and all that kind of stuff but what about those people that are so i think there's a few writers especially starting they're so excited about their concept so they write this book and it doesn't sell or whatever but then they just keep rewriting and rewriting do you think that's learning or you need to sit one stage and just go that book for now, I'm just putting it away and I need to write another one to learn more. I think that there's definitely something to that. There's a lot to be learned from revising, especially if you're getting valuable feedback. But I do think there has to be a point where you do move on to something else because you be your own worst enemy kind of being married to something that's not in the moment saleable. That yeah. doesn't mean it won't ever be. You may have to go get that information that you need to make it saleable or to make it great yeah from writing something else and you may learn something from a different manuscript i was writing new books while i was waiting to hear back when i did my first submission and i was in the slush pile so it would be months and months before i would hear back on whatever revision i had done with the editor harlequin and so in between that i would write just the next manuscript so it was like i was always writing something new and then going back to revise and i actually that was really useful because I did learn so much writing those new books, even though I had got feedback on them. I yep. was oh, I see how I had this editorial feedback for the book I just revised. And now I'm taking something from scratch and applying that. And it would just teach me something different every time. So I definitely think there is wisdom in setting things aside. And that setting things aside doesn't mean it was wasted time. No. It doesn't you won't do anything with it. And even if you don't, it's all still a learning process. Yeah. Like, well, it's part of educating yourself it's like going to school for writing yeah which we need to do <laughs> anyway so number one was only writing teachers you how to write so what about number two that ego and humility have to coexist in your body i love that ego I, and humility tell us yeah about that. you have to have an ego if you're oh. going to 
succeed in this business because the world and publishing in general will do everything that it can to dole your shine. (laughs) And I just think that you have to believe in your work with full conviction and you have to believe in your right to tell stories and in the importance of your voice and in your stories. And it's tempting to believe that a list or a sales milestone or a certain number of good reviews will give this to you. But yet again, I have bad news. No one and nothing is going to give you the external validation that you need to feel complete. Like you're never going to list just one compliment and then you'll be like, oh, I guess that's enough. I feel good about myself. Yeah, that's not I like always shifting, aren't they? Like a yeah. and you've got time to sell a list or something. Oh, that's nice for now, but now when you hit it again or again, yeah, you want to hit it again and, and, and what if you don't and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And there's a quote from Cher, the singer where her mother had reportedly said to her that she needed to give up what she was doing and marry a rich man. <laughs> and she said, Mom, I am a rich man. I love and that. I, <laughs> I think that you have to believe that you are a rich man. Yeah, that is great. Uh, and I, but at the same time, it is so important to be able to take feedback. It is so important to be able to have humility when the trusted people in your writing life come back to you and say, this needs work. Yeah. And I know of writers who quit taking that feedback because they hit a certain place and they didn't have to anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I think the book suffered for it. As a reader, I could see that it happened. Definitely. I don't see that with some people too. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it's you do always have to be very confident in yourself, but then also have the confidence that you can make the book better. Yeah, it's all about taking your ego and marrying it with the humility because it's, yeah, I can take that feedback and I know that I can make the book better, but you have to be teachable and you have to be willing to do the work to improve everything you do. And it's that confidence in knowing that if you put the work, hard work in, you actually can do it. Yeah, yeah. How do you think, um, you know, it's all very well to say, oh, we just believe in ourselves. Is there any tricks or tips like to you know, keep believing in yourself. How do you do that? I recommend being stubborn because, yeah. and, and motivated by spite. Because I find that <laughs> very helpful. Because then when you are in a bad space, you usually have a bad object. Yeah. And you can be like, well, I'm not going to go away because you think that I should. I love it. <laughs> You've done something. I'm, that's a terrible answer. I would be a bad motivational speaker, but I just, there's nothing wrong with being motivated by pettiness. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes that's all you have. Yeah. But other times I think I look back at all the books that I've written and I think you can do that. Just look back at the paragraph that you've written. Yes. Yeah. Doing it. That's and more than most people. Yeah. So you deserve to be here. That is very true. I think, yeah, looking back on what you've done and how far you've come sometimes because it's so easy to see what you haven't done or what you yeah. should be doing rather than actually go, wow, I'm I have done a few good. And yeah, if you've written a book before, in theory, and if you've written 152 or even 25, you should be able to do it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Although sometimes I think this will be the one that gets me. Oh, I think that all the time, every time I'm sat or every time I just let's go. And if anybody out there is struggling with confidence, just know that we also think this will be the one we can't finish. And I wonder if we have got to the stage where we're like totally confident all the time. As you said, maybe then the books would let suffer because you mean, we wouldn't be trying our best to not suck. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know that that's possible as a human. I think we are works in progress, only, yeah. which I will talk about that more as we go on. But it's to me, I think people are so obsessed with reaching destinations and having things like 
organized forever or you always have a work-life balance or whatever. And it's I just don't think that's possible. I think you're always going to be like, hey, like, let's get your confidence together or hey, tone your ego down a little bit. Yeah. Like you're like, <laughs> correcting and overcorrecting and because that's just because we're not perfect. You're a condition, really. Right. Oh. We're all flawed characters. Uh, exactly exactly so are we up to number three now and that is that you need to be both emotional and cerebral your head and your heart need to be engaged in order to make a satisfying career in publishing because being a commercial fiction author is an uncomfortable tightrope to walk because art and commerce will always be uncomfortable bedfellows but the reality is if you want readers you have to think about the market that you're writing for and i don't think this is in conflict with writing the book of your heart I've written many books and I want to write many more. And a piece of my heart is in all of them. There's no one book of my heart. As my life changes, there are new stories that I want to tell based on these new things I've learned and experienced. And what was the book of my heart 10 years ago? Like the ultimate book of my heart would not be the ultimate book of my heart now. Because I've been different things and I have different things that I want to explore. And the way that I do this is when I sit down and I plan a series or a pitch for a publisher, I always ask myself first, if I can sell it, not just to a publisher, but will there be a lot of people out there who want to read it? A lot of people. And I try not to trick myself into thinking, even though I can see X and Y doesn't perform well, I might be special enough to transcend it because I've been around too long to hope for that kind of thing. Can you just explain that a little bit more? What you mean exactly by that? But people following trends and things like that, do you, is that? Yeah, I think... Like you can't follow trends exactly because literally anything, unless you're self-publishing, anything that you see happening in publishing happened two years ago in in process. So it is really to look at something that's hitting really big, to look at Emily Henry and go, I'm going to write a books-themed book or I'm going to look at Allie Hazelwood and I'm going to write something set in academia. Yeah. There's going to already be 15 people behind her that have already done deals. Their books are going to come out before you. So it's like chasing trends doesn't work either. But I think there are certain things that you can look at and say that's historically not going to do very well. I'm trying to pull something out of thin air, but I'm having trouble. Oh, that's all good. I think because because you see that sometimes where people are like, "Oh, I'm gonna." A lot sometimes this works. So I'm I'm saying this in a really generic sense. Sometimes it does work. Yeah, male female contemporary romance to gender swap something, but often it doesn't. Yeah, there's very specific reasons people want the hero to have. A certain level of power. Yeah. A certain level of competence. Like nobody wants a man that's a total project. So it's while you might have a niche readership for a book like that, it may never be broad. Yeah. And if you kind of look at that, and, and that again, that's the other thing. It's like, that doesn't mean there's no readership for something. But you're looking at something yeah. that's going but to, you're, you're a writer, writer who wants yeah, to like, cast yeah. a wider net than that, yeah. or you have to be completely okay with the fact that you may be aiming for a niche, which is actually great. Yeah. But what I always tell people is that you do have to be honest with yourself about that. Yeah. Like you have to make these decisions with your eyes open. And you make those decisions before you start writing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it is, what is the top line marketing pitch for the book? Is there for me, is it Cowboys? That's my easy niche in the market. Yeah. That helps me sell books. I can do anything emotionally with that framework. You can tell a deep story about loss and grief and finding new love again. And you can set it on a ranch or you can set it in a city. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You can tell the emotional core that you want wrapped in whatever kind of saleable package is working for you or mm-hmm. working in the moment. And it can be historical, contemporary, paranormal. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah, um, I do a whole workshop on core story and that's what it's about. It's about the fact that like the pieces that are personal and that are emotional and are your heart travel with you through or me through present desire, HQN, women's fiction. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's, so you can look critically and go, I want to aim broadly as far as the like the package goes. And then I always just write the book from my heart. Like yeah. the concept is more geared toward the marketing aspect but the actual like soul of the book is just emotional for me i love Uh, and like i said i think that if you have a book in in your heart and it makes no marketable sense like absolutely write the book Mm -hmm. but just be very honest with yourself about what that might lead to which does lead nicely into my fourth point which is that you have to know what you want Yeah. And I think that is actually so much more challenging to discern than it seems because it should seem obvious. But I actually have met so many writers that have a hard time with that because you're like, as an artist, do you get to admit I want to make money doing that? Yes. Is it okay to say I want to be a bestseller because that's an ego thing? (laughs) And uh, do I want books on shelves when like you should be okay with just having an ebook? Yeah, whatever. Do you want to be the traditional publisher when people are telling you, but you should just go indie, but that's not what you want? Yeah. Or you do want to go indie and people are telling you, you need to be with a traditional publisher, but you don't care. Yeah. So like all these things, there's no wrong answer and nobody gets to tell you whether or not it's something that matters because it matters to you. And that is the, to me, that's so important because I see a lot of people who get caught in cycles where they are dissatisfied and it is because they are not being super honest about what their real goal is yeah i don't care about money i just want to write whatever i want and then they're angry because so people are making money (laughs) well even and even if it's not money is probably part of it but even if it's just they're people not getting read yeah want to be read we would keep the books on our hard drive that's so true but it's like they keep doing the same thing over and over again and they're not teachable or flexible Yeah. And they're going, I'm bitter and upset about what's happening. It's like, but you're not looking at where this is where you actually want to go. You do care about this. It's okay. You don't have to be ashamed that you want to make money. Yeah. You want to have a list or that you want a claim or that you want 10,000 people to read your book, let's say. And that if you know what you want. Yeah. How does that help you? I think that's what helps you point yourself there. And it's very important that your characters have goals. That's the edge drives your story yeah you as an author don't have a goal yeah then it comes to figuring out what am i going to sit down to write what am i going to do with it you don't know and if you don't know how are you going to make forward motion and i think that makes sense direct yourself in the right way and then i think too you have to be okay when your goals change yeah because you get something and you do tend to want more that is just a guess since it's human nature and I think being honest about that and taking the time to sit back and go, what do I want right now? What am I not? Fi- what do I need to leave behind? What do I need to take with me? And where do I need to be headed toward? I just think you always have to be checking in with yourself like you would a character of your book. Yeah. <laughs> be like, what is your long range goal? What is your short range goal? Who hurt you? Emotional goal. What's like, goal? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and now that this other thing has happened, do you want something else? So I then just by putting it. Yeah, just I think we need to be brutally honest with ourselves, and that is really the only way that you, to the best of your ability, because we can't control everything in this industry. It's more more like you're in a boat floating on the ocean, and you're at the mercy of the sea, but you can point yourself. 
change the direction and maybe it's going to, I mean, that's. That is a great, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So taking number five now. Yes. I think that your goals are going to shift and that's a good thing to be aware of because creativity is an ever expanding resource, which is point five. I used to think that if I tried something new, that I would forget what I knew how to do. But yep. creativity never shrinks, it expands. So the more that you try, the more that you can do. It actually goes back to what you said about should you put the book away or should you write something else? It's the more that you use your creativity, the more expansive it becomes. Mm-hmm. And that's where like always write a different book because it's going to teach you something. Always try something out there. And like I wrote a middle grade like a year ago that I sent to my agent and then she like never read it, which is like, <laughs> not good. But it was like a learning process. Yeah. And and I don't regret having written it. And I don't even think I necessarily want to do anything with it. Like I just did it. Yeah. And and there it is. And I think if anyone have you got your ch- children to read it? I'm just curious. No, they don't read. It's terrible. Yeah. My my oldest son does occasionally. Like they get stage in life where they just don't really read. No. And then my daughter has to read so much for school. It's like she doesn't yeah. do it. So it's like. <laughs> No, I love that. Creativity is ever expanding. Ever. I wrote never doubt. No, that is awesome. And do you think creativity being an ever expanding resource, do you think that doing things that are not specifically writing, like you do a lot of other creative things, how do you feel like that sort of fits in with your writing process? I think it's great. Like, I do think that it is like this wonderful way to foster creativity without pressure. I know you do sewing and stuff as well. And it's, there's something really wonderful about making something that is just for me. Yes, that's so true. monetizing it. I'm not like asking any opinion. It is about whether or not I'm happy with it. Yeah. And so much of my other creativity is, goes to other people. Yeah, that's it, true. it is about what they want and marketability. And I don't have to worry if the sweater I knitted is marketable. Mm, you can just see it's life, you can ugly, but it's for me. And so I do think that there is something in that. I think there's something that like helps keep you, helps keep your creativity kind of fresh. Awesome. And that must bring us to number six. Yes, which is that ideas are cheap. Oh, I love <laughs> that. Great ideas and a lot of people have them, but it's the execution and the actual writing that lead to a career. And I say this because it's easy to think that if someone's idea is similar to yours, there's no place for your book. I'm actually very sure of that. <laughs> so many times. Well, I'm gonna, oh, it's been done before. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm going to try to tell the story as quickly as possible because I'm conscious of the time, but I just think it's so weird and funny yes, that I- when I was writing and submitting to Harlequin, I had written all these books in between, like I mentioned, like between revisions steps and things like that. So I was writing these other things and I wrote this book and the working title was called The Sheik's Forbidden Virgin. And it was like my favorite thing I had ever written. And the hero was named Adam and he was sent by his brother to capture Princess Isabella, who's trying to run away from an arranged marriage to the brother. But of course, when he like tries to bring her back to his brother, he ends up falling in love with her, super angsty, very love. (laughs) And then I literally like I finished it and I would always go to the iHeart Presents blog and check things out. And I literally opened up the blog to see Kate Hewitt doing an interview about her next release, which was called The Sheik's Forbidden Virgin, which was the exact same title as my working title. And the hero was named Arif and he was sent to fetch his brother's fiance, Kalila, and falls in love with her. 
when I was like, oh my gosh, it's the same book and it has the same working title and no one is going to believe I didn't just copy her. At some point I actually emailed her and I didn't know her at all. I do know her now and she's lovely. And I now trying to imagine her getting that email is so funny, (laughs) but she was like, don't worry about it. Like a lot of people could have that idea and the book would be totally different. Yeah. And when I got published and I had that manuscript kind of finished, I did say to my editor, I was like, I would like to also send this one in for you to look at, but it is really similar to this book by Kay Hewitt and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, that's fine. Yeah. And it was never a problem. Like you read Kate's book. I did. Yeah. At some point, like years later, Yeah, it was very different. Yeah. And she's a very different writer than I am. Like she is, she writes such lovely romantic emotion and it's so gorgeous. And I would say that her presents heroes are on the kind of softer side Yes. And they're, so they're like very lovely romantic books. They're very fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and mine are, <laughs> my heroes are meaner and the books are a lot dirtier. <laughs> I'll say that. I like to think they also have a lot of emotion, but they're structured very differently. They're just in the way different. Way. Yeah. They're just very different and they could never be the same. And so that's my thing is it's not the idea. It's what you do with it. And great. you can remember that the next time somebody says, I have an idea, you write it and we'll split the profit. Yes. <laughs> which we um, hear all the time. And, all the time. It's, everybody has ideas. So, which brings me to number seven, which is just because this is a dream job, that doesn't mean you'll be happy a hundred percent of the time. Amen. And what I have noticed over the years in publishing is I have watched people torture themselves because they are not happy all the time. And they think that means something and they put all this extra pressure on themselves to be happy or to be like grateful in a way that you just can't always feel. It is a dream, but living the dream doesn't mean that you're filled with a sense of wild joy all the time. And I feel like we can feel extra obligated to enjoy our jobs when we're struggling because like our friends or our spouses or whatever are working jobs that are not dream jobs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how do I, would, do I have the right to be ungrateful and yeah. it's human and it is hard enough to do this work without policing your feelings or putting pressure on yourself to feel things that you just don't feel. And I always say, first of all, who wants to do their job every day? Nobody does. Everybody struggles with wanting to get up and go to work and a writer is no different and we are allowed to have those feelings. And there's just no points for a good attitude. There are points for writing it, right? even when it sucks. Yeah. And you're going to feel like you suck. So good news. That's to be expected. It's just Tuesday. You can't avoid it. You might as well write anyway, but it's your dream job and you can cry if you want to. I love that. So many people have said to me, oh, you're living my dream, aspiring authors and stuff. And I know because we've both been there, but sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm living mine too, apparently. And the dream is not exactly everything. I oh, and I, I think any, anything you do a lot of, anything you do all the time or this is terrible and it is crass and I'm going to say it anyway because this is a podcast. I think friends. I know what you're going to say. I, well, if you, um, when you're dreaming of a relationship, you're like, it's all Harlequin presents, right? Like you, the, the hero's <laughs> taking you up to the penthouse and he's managing all your things and oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's sometimes I just feel like I'm in a long-term relationship with publishing and I've seen them poop with the door open. So true. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, saying, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not committed, but I'm just saying we've, I've seen things and that the true. mystery's gone. That wasn't what I thought you were going to say, but I just love that so much. So it's such an apt description. I thought you were going to say that sometimes when we first start wanting to write a book or publish, it's so it's such a joyful thing to do. It's like our escape. It's a hobby. 
But then when your hobby or your passion becomes something that has to pay your bills, I feel like that changes it too. I don't know how oh, it absolutely does. That. And I think there is an incredible amount of pressure that kind of comes with that, with success or with failure, either to dig out of the failure or to repeat the success. And then at a certain point you're living, uh, like there are expectations of you. Yeah. And then you have to meet those all the time. And that's an element of it. And then I think you've lost the kind of, you lose the wonder. Like yeah. you're not like, oh, is my book magically going to do this? They're like, no, I know too much. I know it's not. There's just so many elements to that. that when you've been in the industry for as many years as we have, it's, and again, it's, I would still choose it again with the marriage metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. I would still choose it knowing everything that I know. Yeah. It almost comes from a deeper and more committed place that I can be like, today, I don't like doing this. Yeah. I today am I don't like you, but I'm still committed. And that is actually like the deeper, that is a deeper relationship with it. So yeah, it's, yeah I'm living the dream, but I also know a little bit too much about it. Running with the analogy quickly. I know we've gone yeah. to launch it, but do you feel like marriage needs to be nurtured still? We'll talk about date nights and, and spending time with each other. So that's how you keep a love sometimes alive in a marriage. How do you keep your love alive for what you do, even though sometimes you don't love it? Partly by making sure that I'm writing variety. Yeah. Because that actually allows me. And then actually also having some things that have no pressure on them at all. Yeah. If I do, like the great thing about category romance is that this is like very boring publishing stuff, but it's like, they don't have to sell that into the store on your name or on the tropes. They just go where the category books are shelved. The readers are going to buy them if they're readers of that line. There's no promo that I can do. There's no TikTok dance that I'm going to do to get <laughs> buy it. Nobody's buying anything from my TikTok dances anyway, but you see what I mean. So it's you have something that is like, there is no big expectation on it. There is no pressure. It's, it, it is actually something that is 100% a labor of love yeah. and of creativity. I'm not saying that also I don't get a monetary reward out of that, but it's, it is something I do have something I do under another name that makes no money. And I just do it because I like it. And I, I actually think it's things like that, that keep me. Then when I go back to the things that maybe are a little bit more high pressured, I'm refreshed and I enjoy that too. And so it is, it's keeping the monotony at bay really is yeah. what it is. So it's, it is like date night with my writing. I love that. And also I just wanted to ask another question because you mentioned right at the beginning that you were taking two weeks off soon. So you're working really hard. You also have to take time off at Christmas. You've taken time off out of your way in Australia. Do you think that scheduling brain breaks, I guess they are? Like, does that work for you? Some writers just continually write every day, all day. I've learned that my I am very cyclical and I actually thrive on like periods of intense work yeah. and periods of time off. And I have, I think maybe not named that for a long time. That was something I almost like just realized because I came back from, it's like I knew it but I thought of it more of a bug and not a feature. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's what I do naturally where it's, I'll write a book and I don't start the next one right away. I take, I would rather write something really quickly and then take some time off. Yeah. And so what I've learned is that I really thrive in short periods of like hyper focus and like completely dissociate for a little bit yeah. and read or watch YouTube videos or, and even if that's just a couple of days, yeah, that is really, something that works for me. And I think for some people it is like 
routine. And I do have a set word count that I know that I'm going to write or whatever. But again, it's like knowing that I'm going to have these. So it's like, it's structured in its way. It's not a haphazard, like hyper-focus and no work. Like it's all very controlled. I know when I have to start again too. But you give yourself permission um, to take that break and to... to yes, you know, absolutely. I do not, I do not believe in half-ass breaks. Yeah. I, if you, if the words are not happening, get up. Don't sit at the computer and pretend for 12 hours that you're going to get around to writing. I like that too. You feel like you worked, but you didn't. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm like this, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I'm like, I remember very clearly when I realized that like a lot of people who were spending a long time on a book just weren't writing they'd be sitting down at the computer and I'm like, yeah, I get, I know that there's an element of not writing that is writing and blah, 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 blah. But if, but if yes. it's mostly not writing, there's not going to be a book. Yes. So true. It's no, really interesting. So again, and this comes back to the honesty. I think what's interesting is that you said that you've only really just worked that out, even though it's been happening for years. And I find yeah. that too, I'm not going to go into examples or whatever, but I feel like the last year or so has really taught me more about my writing process. Like I've suddenly realised a few things and so become more accepting of, of how I do things. And yes. it's taken a decade to work out some things. I wonder what we'll find in another decade. We'll yeah. well, and I, <laughs> I feel like that kind of comfort with yourself and honesty with yourself, first of all, comes with age. I was just like yeah. careening around. I was sold in my 20s. I didn't know what I was doing. Like happily stumbling into things. We both did this with parenting too, hey. Have kids, yeah. Yeah, That's the beauty of being a young parent. That's what you do. You're like stumbling around and being like, oh, hopefully I like did more things right than I did wrong. And and then you get to a certain age and you start asking why you do things. Yeah. And then also I think after 13 years in the industry, it's okay, how do I make like my practices more sustainable yes. here I am have another 13 years I, and I'm like I'm in a I'm in a fairly successful stage of my career I make enough money that I'm supporting my family off of it so I'm past this like you get past like this desperation stage and then you go what about my enjoyment I'm not just getting new things anymore so I'm figuring out how to maintain yeah and yeah I would like to grow as well but at the same time you're like some of it is like how do I find joy where I'm at important I feel exactly in the same stage in some ways in terms of that I know that if I want to sustain and keep doing what I'm doing I have to be happy with what I'm doing not with the external sort of rewards and joy from that and I think allowing myself yes I still need money but it's it's a really it makes you feel happier in yourself and if you're happier in yourself then you're happier usually when you're writing anyway yeah. yeah. And uh, what we were just talking about goes better with my point that's lower, but I'm going to keep going in order or I'll forget what okay. I'm doing. Staying published is harder than getting published. Yeah. And I know that nobody who is trying to get published wants that's to hear that. that. I did not want to hear it. I was like, but that's not actually true. But the thing is much like that, if you can do anything else, do it. If you love it, you'll sign on for the struggle. Yeah. But just know that it is a long game of persistence. And many times in this business, you will feel that persevering is an academic example of the triumph of hope over experience. Whether you're indie or writing for a publisher, sometimes staying in the game can feel harder than getting in in the first place, which is another reason you don't have to have a good attitude because it is hard. Yeah. And sometimes you're climbing up a sheer rock face, bloody knuckled. And I just like to tell people that because I want them to know that they're not alone in the struggle. Because the thing is, we're writers, so we're very good at telling a story. If you ask me, and I've done this, where you're like, I'm going to record a two-minute TikTok video telling the story of how I got published. 
none of the low points are going to be in there. We're writers. We want a certain amount of tension, but we want to keep the narrative going. So not even try to make yourself look better. You concept, you just like, you end up kind of making this neater story than actually exists when you retell it. And then the people that are in it going through the bad stage, like I've got a number of friends recently who just contracts or whatever. And it's a shock all of a sudden because they don't realize. And I say to them, don't worry. I know plenty of people have been here and they've got to reinvent themselves. Yet it's it's one of those things that just happens that we don't really realize until it happens to us, you know, how. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I like to say that it's, it's hard. So if you're in that space where you are struggling, like just know that is actually an inevitable part of the process and, and everybody has it. You're not going to avoid that. No, you may mention this further on. So I forgive, forgive me if you do, but yeah. Have you've been rejected since getting published? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did. I sold my first book. So I had not had a rejection until after I was published. I didn't get rejected until after I was a best-selling author. Yeah. Wow. And I got rejected while I was in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> this recently, you're saying? Recently. Yeah. Um, it's like you don't, it's not personal. It's no. really not. It's there's just different things going on. Yeah, the publisher has other things. They don't need that right now. It's not like I've just accepted it as part of it. Yeah, I, I don't really get wound up about it. It's okay. I'm not doing that right now. Then, yeah, just nice. keep this other thing. And so, yeah, it's I just I consider rejection is not something to be avoided. If you try to avoid rejection, you're never going to send anything out. Yes, so true. It's just I just look at it as I don't even look at it as a failure. It's just part of this business. It's part of this job. I love that. Yep. So that's how I see it. But number nine is there is no wrong way to write a book mm. unless it's not getting written. I love that. Process is fair game. Aren't, isn't she wise, everyone who's listening? I just, <laughs> I, this is why we wanted to share it with you because all of this stuff is just so good. So no wrong way to write a book except no. being written. Because one book might go quick and smooth and linear and one you might be piecing together out of order and one might be joyous and lovely and a gift book. That's what I call them. And the other one might be like actually pulling your teeth out. How many gift books have you? I actually try to have amnesia about that. It's not like more even that than what sells and what doesn't. It's like I try, I don't remember by the time it's over. That's actually the only way that I compare (laughs) writing a book to giving birth is that you like forget the pain. Yeah. You tell you trick yourself into doing it again. That's so true. Sometimes like I always feel like it's really hard. And then I think I look back and I think, oh, then that book wasn't so hard. And my writing, like close writing buddy says to me, Yeah, you went through the same Oh yeah, no, but I literally I send out so like Jackie Ashenden reads like all my chapters of books while I'm writing it and I'll send I read Megan Crane and Nicole Helms stuff as well. And particularly Megan. And I, as our books go on, you'll start getting emails from us with the chapter that it's like, Rory, chapter five, and my hero is the biggest idiot of all time, and I hate him, and I want to drown him in the water, and he is a beta douche, and blah, blah, blah. And Jackie's, oh, did your hero have a feeling, Macy? Like, you do this every time. Or I'll send a thing being like, this book is weird. She goes, oh, is your book weird? You think every book that you write is weird? I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, yes, you do. I'll be like, I love that book. And she's like, you hated it while you were writing it. Yeah. No, I didn't. I love that book. She's like, you, you don't, you hated it. Makes me think, I mean, I, I don't know again, is this one of your points that you're not the best judge? You're never the best judge. No, that's actually part of this. It's like in terms of process, like, like sometimes I think that I love a book, but what I really love is the concept of it. And the execution's not great. And I need to be told 
it wasn't actually good. Other times it's just because I dislike the book doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. I've had books where I felt like panicked and unsettled and unhappy the whole time I was writing them. And what I've learned is that it usually has more to do with my personal life than the book itself. Yes, so true. Which I always say that about burnout too. People are like, oh, don't you get burned out writing that many books? And I'm like, no, usually if I feel burned out, it's because of the surrounding yeah. life pressures. I heard that burnout is another word for life often, basically. basically. Yeah. I'm like, sometimes the writing, what's going on in your life and what's happening, like in the publishing, the business component of it makes you feel burned out. But I'm yeah. like, it's not really the writing. That's the problem. There's some other stuff that you've got to close, like other tabs you've got to close first, I think. That's very interesting. Yeah. So my point number 10 is it's not all about the bottom line. And I say this because years and years ago, in context of something to do with publishing, this person said to me, when I was trying to make a decision, it's all about the bottom line. And I remember that's just one of those things that's echoed in my head forever. And I have found that, like, after 13 years in publishing, looking at things in terms of what am I getting right now, this immediate bottom line is often really short sighted. Mm. because these are long range goals. Like more than 10 years ago, I got an email in my inbox from an author that I'd never met before, but who a lot of you have probably heard of Lori Foster. Yeah. And she had heard, she said in her email that I was starting to write cowboys. I didn't have any cowboy books out yet. So no, everybody just knew me as writing for presents, but she had heard that I was writing cowboys and also that I was a really fast writer. And she was having a crisis with this charity anthology that she put out every year because an author had to drop out because of a personal issue and they needed something written in five days. And I said, you can do because you write 50,000 words last week. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I can do that. And the offer was for nothing, for no money. It was for charity. And, but I knew that it was going to HQN, which was like my dream imprint. And I had been, I had a cowboy series that wasn't out yet that I had sold to Penguin, but I really wanted to be doing cowboys for HQN. I felt like that was, they were more successful in that space. I liked their covers better. I liked everything about what they were doing with their contemporary romance program. And I had been rejected by an editor there and this was going to a different editor. And I was like, great, I'll do this. And I wasn't really like thinking in a super calculated way. I just thought this can't be a bad thing. I'll be in an HQN anthology. I'm getting what I want. So I was like, I'll do it. I wrote the novella and I sent it off in two things in that space of time between when I sent it and when I got my edits back. The editor who rejected me, who was the head of that imprint, left the company. And the editor who was editing the anthology was promoted to that position. She read my novella and she loved it. And suddenly she was the person in charge of who got bought for everything. And she said, I'd like to work with you again. And I was like, great. And so that is a bottom line I could not have foreseen. That is how I got into HQN. That is how I ended up writing cowboy books that became quite successful. And that is, that was not a door that I knew I was opening. That also shows one thing that I think it's hard in this business is there is so much luck involved. If that editor was the first one there, then maybe you would have you'd already been in it and it's you need that champion but getting that champion involves a lot of luck sometimes and that's and and then that is the thing you cannot discount luck anyone who says they have that number 11 who said no it's not it's just a continuation i'm saying luck is a component in this industry absolutely Mm. but you do have to show up with the work because had i said no because i didn't see any value in it because i wasn't getting paid right now 
yeah. I wouldn't have a contract. I had to show up with the work. So it's like you do. I think I see a lot of people who I feel like are sitting back going when publishing proves to me that it's worth the work, I'll do it. <laughs> it's a complicated thing, but I can just tell you I've witnessed that. Yeah. People tell themselves they're going to behave differently meet their deadlines, whatever, write more books if yes. they become successful. Yeah. And that is backward. Yeah. You have got to do the work before it's giving you much of anything. But my point number 11 is actually that sex success is not just money. So sex is not just money there. Sex <laughs> is not just money either, unless you're in a presents, in which case <laughs> both, which is kind of nice. I always think I would have made such a good presents heroine, but it's really too late to go back and be a virgin secretary. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I would make a good one. I wouldn't be able to put up with the men. <laughs> no, I mean, well, that's the other thing. I'm like, I'm way too old. Mm. Like when I was 21, I might have been able to put up with it, but not now. <laughs> uh, I'd be like, I first of all, I could do the job better. And yeah. second of all, gross, go away. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> like, I'm good. Thanks. Success is not just money. Success is not just so what money. What is success? Is that what you're going to tell us? I just think success is all about the overall satisfaction and happiness in your life because you have to be like, I know people who have gotten themselves into positions where they were writing 18 hours a day in order to maintain an income level that they got themselves stuck into. And it isn't that I've never been in this position, yeah. but it's, that is not living your life. And it's, you have to find the balance that works for you that allows you to enjoy your life. Like I do, I am the breadwinner. So like I say this as someone for whom money and publishing is very important. Yes. But I do take projects where I don't necessarily know how much money I make or like with the charity project thing that I did, I know that I won't. And some of those decisions are tactical and to work with a specific editor and get involved in something I haven't been before. But sometimes I just take on a project because I want to write it. And that's where my enjoyment matters. I'm like fostering the excitement for yeah. my creativity. I admire people who are very successful with indie publishing, but it is not my immediate skill set. I like to write and I don't actually want all that extra control. People are like, oh, yeah. you should do it. You have so much control. I'm like, I don't want it. <laughs> Say, I don't want it. I want to write the book and send it in. Yeah. Um, and then that's the thing. It's like traditional publishing suits me for that reason, because it allows me to focus on what I enjoy. Yeah. And I remember, and this was in the early days when it was very like indie versus traditional, yeah. whereas I feel like now everybody just is live and let live. So like in the early days, I believe it was the same person who said to me, it's all about the bottom line, was basically telling me I was dumb to stay in traditional publishing because I could make higher percentage, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And I really just thought I would rather write a whole other book a year yeah, and Did make that money there than have to do all this stuff you're talking about, which is not writing. And is it what I'm here to do? And it's, that is so great if that is what you are talented at and that is what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but the point is, it's not all about having more and more. It's about building a life for yourself that makes you happy because publishing is not separate from your life. It's part of it. Yeah. So if you're writing morning till night with no end in sight and you're angry every time you sit down and you dread it, then why are you doing it? Mm. Like for more money to say you write a certain number of books a year and you don't have to be happy all the time. I already made that point, but you should definitely be happy more than you aren't. Yeah. And you should not be grinding at the expense of your joy. So when you already have enough, what good does it do to have more? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To try and get more. Like there is, you have to love your work and your stories because otherwise you could be in an MLM selling leggings. <laughs> Why be publishing? You could be a girl boss. Like on working 18, 18 hours a day, as you said, doing that. <laughs> exactly. Because if it, it's like, if the work no longer matters and you've lost your perspective on what you're doing, 
then why not? I'm sure you could at least take a brain holiday a little bit, but it's just, there's no guarantees. And the one thing that you can control is if you love and stand behind your stories. And if you're building a whole life where publishing fits along with everything else that you love, like you should never be doing this at the expense of your family, of your friends, of your vacations, of your life, of your other hobbies. Like you are a whole person. It's very easy to fall into that trap. For years, I did nothing. I didn't sew. I didn't bake much. I did. No, kids never got sacrificed because that was my relationship probably did and hobbies did. Friends definitely did because you just think that's what you should be doing if you want it so hard. And then I think in the beginning, the excitement about writing can sustain you a little bit more than it does when you've done 150 books. Oh, definitely, yes. Oh, because you're like, oh, I'm new here and I'm very excited. And so it's if the balance is weighted toward writing in the beginning or you're someone who, for whom that is true right now, I'm not judging you. I've not been there. Completely. And I've been very happy doing it. I was very happy to do revisions on my second book in the hospital after I had it. No, I think okay. there's a time though when you go, I need to do other things because my life does need that sort of balance. And I'm, you know, people are important. My family's important. And also just yeah, I feel if you just dress right, you don't get ideas. You don't get that. I agree. Yeah. This one will be quick because we did already talk about this. Failure is to be expected. That's, That's number 12. 12. Failure is to be expected. Yep. And it's just, it's inevitable. And I think once you accept that, you don't need to have fear or shame surrounding it. Yep. We don't want what we're working on to fail, but we can't let a fear of failure cripple us. It What's is like failure is. I think that is really interesting because it's like, for me, I think it does feel like when not as many people as I wanted to read the book. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the only real failure is if I stop when I don't want to, because that's your goal can change. You can quit if you want. Yeah. You you don't have to be ashamed about that either. Yeah. But if a bad experience makes you quit when you don't want to, if it may, if it decides it's the end, not you, that to me would be failure. If it was something that I didn't decide. Yeah. There's going to happen. Success is going to happen too. No one's going to throw you a parade to throw one for yourself. (laughs) I love that. And then number 13 is remember why you started. And I'm just going to say for the established authors that might be watching this, resist the pull toward bitterness, because I'm going to tell you right now, it's easy to feel bitter and it's easy to look at the mountain of your work and watch publishing fawn over a new author and someone who doesn't have your track record and wonder why not me. It's not easy. And it's just crappy. Um, and you want to be bitter, but that's poison and not poison that will harm them. It'll harm you because we are doing creative work and you have to find something in yourself that loves the work. And if you are consumed by bitterness, you're not going to have that love. And if you take one thing away from this, it's that the stories matter and like where they fit into your life matters. And I think that is the most important thing is love yourself as a whole person, make writing support you, not just monetarily. Yeah. But in all, in, in these other ways, don't let it drain you. Let it like sustain you. Love that. Man. You. You've got, I've got yeah. so many slogans from this that could go on like t-shirts. <laughs> so that's my whole thing is like, those are 13 things I've learned and there's so many more. Like I said, I would choose it every time, even when it is hard. And I don't have balance all the time. But again, part of my journey has been going, well, you're very happy when you're consumed with a project. Yeah. And then you're very happy to take two weeks off. Exactly. And so if I do it at work, why not? And I just think that's the thing is, that, as you've just said, there's not one way to write a book and there's not one way to be a writer. No. You know, that and what you works know. for you right now may not work for you later. Like, 
You got to reflect on other things. I always thought, oh my, when my kids are older, yes, it'll be easier to write. And it's like sometimes, actually, it's easier when they're not in school, which is the direct opposite of when they were little. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I have thought when they, I was squeezing the writing time in when they were sleeping in naps or whatever when they were yes. at, and at night, and I thought, just wait till one day I'll be able to do this all day every day, and I'll be so much more productive and do so much more stuff. And it didn't actually work that way. No. And now no. they're standing in other ways. So life, I was actually talking to my doctor about this yesterday, you know, we're always in a stage where life is demanding because your kids might get older, but then your friends start getting sick or you yeah. look after aging parents or like, your partner, something happens to them. It's always part of that, that human tendency we have to say at this stage, it's yeah. going to be easier at this stage. I will feel successful. Then I'll be satisfied when I am successful. All of these broken things inside of me will be fixed. But yeah. what if we, we know that's not true. We write romance novels where people have to do the hard work of healing themselves before they can fall in love. Mm. Like it isn't just like now I'm married and I'm healed. So yeah. that is like you take you with you ever, wherever you go into success and into failure. So all of your stuff is coming with you. Yep. And that's why I think it's so important to find the joy where you are true, and find the balance where you are and to keep growing, changing, learning, asking yourself what you want and just moving forward in that way, because you're not going to hit a list and be happy forever. That's just not how it works. Yeah. You're not going to get published and be happy forever with that. So true. I think we're going to call this Macy's 13 ways to sustain a successful yes. writing journey. But before I let you leave, and I am going to let you go in a moment because we have talked for a long time. You've shared so much wisdom and knowledge with us. And I'm really grateful to be able to hearing it again myself because, as I said, I was lucky enough to hear your keynote. But this time I've taken notes and just I completely relate to everything you've said. And I think so many authors who are listening at different stages, whether they're just starting out, whether near we are or they've been doing it for a lot longer than us, I think we'll relate to what you say. So thank you. But you mentioned core story a couple of times. And I'm just going to ask you one might be tricky, might be easy, Kristen, to finish off. What is your core story that you see you do time and time again in your book? I think there has been some shifting for sure. But I would say that a repeat theme that you always see in my books is especially with the hair. Well, actually with both of the characters is with the heroine, often she is wanting to be loved for who she is and not what she can do for people. And I refuse to examine that. As an <laughs> I will not look deep. I do not. I will not look deep. Examine it. I'm just asking the, the easy question. Yeah, yeah. And I know that for him, often it is, do you still deserve to be loved after what you think you've done or after these things that you feel make you unlovable? Because I think a lot of my core truth is that we all deserve to be loved because of who we are, even if some of those things are difficult Mm. and not just because of what we can do or what we have accomplished, but because we just are worthy of love, particularly if we're willing to love and do the work and be and show up and be a good person. And I like, regardless of what's happened in the past. So I think that is something that you see repeated over and over again in my books. I love their basic redemption narratives. Perfect. The redemption. I just want to ask you only one question, but I want to say that how do you find someone has written, say, 10 or 25 books? How do you find your core story? Did you at some stage step back and analyze all your books and go, ah? I did with the help of another author 
who was the person who introduced me to the concept of core story when I was trying to write single title and I had only written category romance. And Mm -hmm. she said, okay, so find out what your core story is and figure out how to tell that in a small town romance. It's literally an hour long workshop that I teach with Nicole Helm. So it's, it's, it is a kind of a big concept, but basically it was like, okay, stripping back the layers of this book, the window dressing of this book, what is the bottom line of his conflict? What is the bottom line of her conflict? Why couldn't they be in love? And what allows them to decide that they are in love? And when you reduced it to that is where you found, I found that emotional core. Interesting story I was telling over and over again, Um, basically that they're all worthy of love and that is it distilled. And I think, yeah, so that's how I would do it is go, okay, why didn't they think they could be in love and how did they figure out that they could be? And I think the emotional truth is in that. Interesting. I'm going to have to go through back and look at my books. We have run out of time, sadly, but I just want to say thank you again for being share it so generous your experience your wisdom especially it's they're late at night there in Oregon so thank you for staying up hey I left my husband assembling furniture in the living room and I'm hoping that by the time I come back in it's done yeah just um, given up and thrown in the towel and gone yeah probably because I wasn't (laughs) Uh, everyone if you haven't read one of Macy's books yet please check them out there's 152 to choose from or there might not be 152 out yet but there's quite a lot so you've got choice and I think on your website which is maceyates.com you can find exactly the type of book you love Macy has written it I'm sure thanks again and don't forget to follow Macy on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok now yes yes thank you and I'm sure everyone will enjoy this chat and we might get to talk about core story another time yes let's do that thank you bye Macy Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.